Welcome to FOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fhop.church. And if you will, turn with me to Zechariah. That's probably a book of the Bible that you haven't spent too much time in in your life. I know I haven't. I bet you I've never preached from Zechariah ever in this church. And so I'm excited today. Zechariah chapter 3. Some of you are like, I don't even know where Zechariah is. Just a little bit for Matthew. You know where Matthew is, I'm sure. Zechariah chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says this. It's this. It says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at the right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem. Rebuke you. Excuse me, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is, it, is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure garments. Everyone say amen. All right. So let me give you some context of this. And I was like, man, this is a lot of like history and different things that we have to get into to kind of understand what's going on in this. But how many know like, like sometimes there's things that make sense if we understand the context of it. For example, it, like if you saw a picture of a bald eagle like shaking his head and below him were a donkey and an elephant fighting with each other, that would make sense to all of you, right? Because you understand the context of those images, right? Like, oh, yeah, I see how it is. That's America, right? It makes sense. But if you took that same image and took it another place in the world, they'd be like, I don't get it. Because those images don't mean anything to them in their world. And some of you are like, wait, it doesn't? Yes, there's places other than America in the world. Um, it's, it's a real thing. But even in the Word of God, like when we're reading this passage, there's images and things going on in this passage that might not make sense to us if we don't understand what's going on in this passage. And first we have to understand that the Israelites are God's chosen people. Say chosen people. And you know what made them chosen? That God, he just chose them. Like he just looked at Abraham one day and was like, okay, it's you. I'm, I'm choosing you. Right? And, and that's it. Now, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, but God just chose him. Seemingly kind of out of the blue, he just chose him. And this is, is the Israelites. They are God's chosen people. And inside God's chosen people, at this holy nation, they have a city called Jerusalem. And that's the holy city, right? So it's like almost a chosen city inside a chosen nation. It's God's holy city. It's Jerusalem. It's the capital of this holy nation. 
And inside Jerusalem, there's a temple. Say temple. And this is where the people of God go to worship the true God. Now, there's lots, especially during this time, there's lots of temples to lots of gods all over the world during this time. But you have to understand that this is the temple to the God and his chosen people. And inside this temple, they're going to do a sacrifice. Now, sacrifice to us today, animal sacrifice to us today would seem kind of weird, except for it's something we all do, like regularly. You guys probably did it on Christmas. There, There is a turkey or a pig that gave its life for your enjoyment on Christmas Day. Right? I mean, I remember the first time I shot a deer and I walked up to it. I was like, oh, crap. Something died. Like it was it it was kind of a big moment. It was like something died. How many know I I made sure I ate as much of that deer as possible because I killed it. I've often said I think people who eat meat should have to at least kill one thing that they're going to eat in their life. I remember going to Africa with some Americans and we walked in the back door of this African's house and there was this chicken tied up with twine around its legs and then that night we had dinner and the next morning we got up and we came out and and the chicken was gone but the twine was still there and the people with me went where's where's the chicken i was like what was for dinner last night like whoa we've never eaten an animal that we've actually met before like it was a sacrifice an animal gave its life so that you could have life does that make sense and we so we actually have it in our culture today it's just in this sense it's a religious thing it's atonement for our sins because here's the reality god is a perfect and just judge how many agree if god is a perfect and just judge good judges don't say no i forgive you you're fine you can go right if a judge if there's a crime committed against me and a judge did that to the guy who committed the crime against me i'd be like hey that's wrong you can't let this guy go he wronged me. I need payment for what he did to me. And it's not just for what he did to me. Wes, if I come over to your house and I steal your lawnmower, right? I've stolen your lawnmower. And you would go to the cops say, hey, Pastor Drew, that guy's a creep. He stole my lawnmower, right? I want it back. And then I get the judge like, hey, give him his lawnmower back and, and some extra fines, maybe some few nights in jail to pay for your crime, right? So now I've paid you back, right? Giving your lawnmower back, I've paid you back. But still, that has it, there's still something wrong. Because now not only has the lawnmower been stolen and given back, but now there's something between us, some trust that's been broken. The environment of the relationship is now broken. So when evil happens, it's not just the evil thing that I did, stealing the lawnmower, but now the env- environment in which our relationship exists is also broken. So there's like this double thing going on. And so with animal sacrifice, what they would do in this temple is they'd bring a perfect lamb, right? Because you have to understand, this is like your perfect lamb. That would be the one that give you the most money at market, right? Your, your most awesomest prized possession right here. And that's the one you would bring to have killed for your sins. Because your sins are a crime against God and there has to be payment. There has to be restitution, in the same way, I have to pay you back for what I've done for you. We have to pay God back for what he's done. So in this culture, they would kill this lamb, this perfect lamb, and that would pay for their sins. But then the priests would do this really weird thing. They would take the blood, and they would sprinkle it around the temple. And that would purify the temple and symbolically purify the environment of trust that had been broken between them. 
You guys with me so far? So it's in this context that we see this passage. Because there's a high priest, and it was the high priest's job to kill the animal and sprinkle the blood. And the high priest here, his name is Joshua. And something had happened before Joshua was ever born. The people of God had sinned. Now, how many have ever heard of the prophet Jeremiah? Anybody? Jeremiah, he was warning folks. He was warning folks, guys, you need to turn to the Lord. He was called the weeping prophet. Guys, you need to turn to the Lord. Turn to the Lord. Turn to the Lord. If you don't turn to the Lord, there will be consequences for your sin. And at, at the point where it's like, guys, the Lord is no longer even interested in your sacrifice because it doesn't mean anything to you. All it is is a, a ritual, an act that you go through. I'm, I'm tired of your sacrifices. What I want is your heart. And Jeremiah warned them and said, if you don't turn to the Lord, there will be 70 years where you'll be in exile, where an army will come in and take you away. And that's exactly what happened. They didn't turn to the Lord, and for 70 years they were in exile. And what's crazy is at the end of 70 years they were brought back into the land by a guy that was prophesied about 200 years before that. The prophet Isaiah said, you're going to be brought back to the, to the land by a guy named Cyrus, and he's going to bring you back and restore to you what you've lost. Now, guys, I know this this morning, it's like, okay, that's some good bible stuff that's going on. But can you imagine living through prophecy? Like, can you imagine being living in a moment where you're seeing prophecy, like you're on your way back to Jerusalem after being in exile, and you realize we're on our way back and it's just like Isaiah and Jeremiah prophesied. Like, this is a real thing that's going on. God's word is true. It's happening, and it's happening in my lifetime. Like, I think it, 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 if Jesus comes back in my lifetime, how crazy would that be to see prophecy start playing out just like we see it in Scripture? Right? Anybody else with me on this? So the people of God have sinned. They've been in exile, and now they're coming back. And as they come back, what has happened is when, when the invading army came in to Jerusalem, they completely destroyed that temple. They completely broke it to the ground. And so now this place that's supposed to be a place of worship, a place where they commune with God, has been completely destroyed. And so they come in, and the first item of business is, let's get this temple back on board. Let's get the worship of our Lord back to the priority of our lives. And as they go in, what Ezra tells us is they go in and people are like, you know, that would be great, but also I need a place to live. And so they abandon the building of the temple to build their own houses. They put God on the back burner because people start complaining and whining. Like, like wait a minute, you're rebuilding the temple? Well, it's not as good as the last one was. And it actually says in Ezra chapter 3, it says that there was, there was laughing and weeping at the same time. Some people were excited. Yeah, the temple's going up. And other people were wailing and weeping because it wasn't as good as it used to be. Because of opposition, they completely abandoned building the temple of God. And this is where Zechariah comes in. Zechariah comes into a people who have abandoned the building of the temple He's come into a situation where people are, are laughing and crying and there's just chaos going in the land. And he comes up with our text today 
which let me read it to you again. It says this, he has a vision, and in his vision, it's Joshua the high priest standing before an angel of the Lord, and there's Satan at his right hand accusing him. And the Lord says to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? It says, now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed in filthy garments. I want to say that that word filthy garments is actually excrement. It's crap. He's covered in feces in this vision. And the angels who were standing there said, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken away your iniquity, your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. This, this reminds me a lot of, if I can put it in context of, of other things, of Adam and Eve in the garden. You remember Adam and Eve? Because what's happening here is the high priest Joshua, he's standing there in this vision, and he's covered in shame. He's covered in, in crap. He's covered in shame. And what we see in this vision is, is there's Satan at his right hand, which, which is... In that day would have been someone who like in, a, in a, a court proceeding, in a legal proceeding, the person at your right hand would be your legal counsel. His legal counsel is Satan. And what Satan is doing is he's telling all the reasons why Joshua is not good enough. He's accusing Joshua of all, that's, like look at him. He's covered in crap. Look at him. I mean, probably how'd the crap get there? Probably Satan was chunking it at him. Look at him. He's not good enough. Look, they're trying to rebuild this temple. It's never going to be as good as the old temple. This guy's a joke. Why are we even trying? And that's what Satan does. And sometimes we don't even need Satan's help. Sometimes we do that to ourselves. I mean, I'm looking at Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. What do they do? They eat. They eat from the tree. They eat from the knowledge of good and evil. And what is the knowledge of good and evil? But it's, it's the list of rules, right? The knowledge of good and evil. What is right and what is wrong? Jesus, listen, people get so, they, they push back into the church so much because like you are just a people who care about rules. You're all about rules. And you're like, yeah, that's not who we are. We're people of grace and mercy and love. Um, and there's God. He's like, in, in, in Genesis, God's like, I don't want you to worry about the rules. I just want you to have a relationship with me. Don't worry about good and evil. Just worry about me. And what does Satan do? Well, you'd be kind of nice if you knew what the rules were. Then you would be like God, and you know good and evil. You know right and wrong. And what do they do? They, they eat from the tree, and the moment they eat it, what happens? Their eyes are opened, and they realize they're naked. They realize wait a minute, I'm breaking a rule right now, and the rule is don't be naked. And what do they do? They run, and they hide, and they cover themselves in leaves because that makes a good garment. But they've never seen one before, right? So I guess that's the best they could do. They cover themselves in leaves, and God shows up, and he says, where are you? Now, listen, if God ever asks you a question, he's not asking because he needs to figure out what the answer is. If God ever asks you a question, it's rhetorical. He knows the answer. He knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you've done. 
He wants you to recognize what you've done. And God says, where are you? And they say, we, we realized we were naked, so we hid. And God asks this question, who told you you were naked? Like, what he's asking is, who told you to be ashamed? Right? Isn't that, isn't that really what he's asking? Who told you you had to be ashamed for who you are? Well, God, we did this bad thing. And we realized we're messed up. And so we, we hid. We wanted to hide our shame. And that's all of us this morning. We all want to hide our shame. We don't want anyone to see us. And can I tell, tell you, we're just like them. Our, we have these pathetic attempts to cover up our shame. We're grabbing leaves, pulling them on us, thinking, oh, this will do. This will do. And what does God do in that moment? He, he does a sacrifice, right? He takes an animal, he kills it, and he clothes them. He clothes them in a way that's much better than what they had done. And this is the first like type and shadow of Jesus who is to come. But I want you to think back to, to our, our friends, if you will, here in this passage in Zechariah who are trying to rebuild this temple. Do you realize, like, they've already paid for their crime? Listen, listen. They had already paid for their sin. They had turned against God. God said, you're going to be exiled for 70 years. They were in exile for 70 years, and they came out. They had already paid for their sin. So, so what was left to repent of? They had already paid for it. And it wasn't because of anything they did. That's what I'm, the, the point I'm trying to make is they did nothing to get themselves out of exile. God just said, okay, now you can get out. Now you're out. And it's not because you paid for it. It's because I decided as the God of the universe that it's time for you to come out of that exile. I'm, I'm preaching to you this morning. It's, I decided it's time for you to come out of that exile. And what God is doing, he's fulfilling obvious prophecy and they're living in the middle of obvious prophecy and you know what happens they get discouraged they get discouraged because it's not going the way they think it should go coming out of exile doesn't look like we thought it would look god now you're restoring us but you're not restoring us in the way we thought you should and so now we're all discouraged now we're all hurt and what we're trying to do is a feeble attempt and, and that's what people are like you know, the old temple used to be great. What you guys are doing is crap. What you're doing isn't good enough. How many have ever felt that way before? doesn't matter how hard you try. There's people around saying, what you're doing isn't good enough. You should be ashamed of who you are. You, you're just a dude standing there before the Lord covered in excrement. God is very opinionated about what's happening in Jerusalem right now in this moment. Because God wants his temple restored. And he's not so concerned with what it looks like right now. Because you dive into these prophecies, he, he's going to say, no, 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 what you don't realize is what's happening now 
is going to be so much bigger than any of you can ever realize. And the Lord says here in Zechariah 3, the Lord rebuke you. He's saying, Satan, shut up. God is telling you to shut up. I, I don't care what you have to say, Satan. I already know, listen, when I brought them out of exile, I already knew the condition of their heart. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, I already knew what they were like. I see them, yeah, they're covered in excrement. They're, they're, a, they're a, a people that I've snatched from the fire. And that's what Joshua, he's a representative of the entire people. And this morning, can I say, Joshua is a representative of you as the people of God. That he has snatched you from the fire and you have a real enemy, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, we have a real enemy who's standing there and he's accusing you. And what's, what's the deal is, some of the stuff that Satan accuses of us of is lies right he tries to get us to believe lies about ourselves and that's hard like oh man and he comes at us with these lies but some of what he says about us is completely true it's completely true that we're standing there covered in filth and that's what makes some of those accusations hard is because they're completely true maybe it's isn't that the devil's always a liar. Maybe some of the stuff he accuses us of, we know we're guilty of. We know we're guilty of. But we have a good God. He says, take that garment off of him. Let's give him a new garment. Let's restore him to where he is supposed to be. And it's not because of anything he's done. It's not because of anything she's done. It's not even because they're trying to rebuild the temple. It's not any of your doing. It's just the same thing that we started with. It's that he has chosen you. He's just chosen you. And he's decided that he wants you for himself. I, um, the other night, I got to have a birthday party. In my, uh, where's Zach? Is he hiding somewhere? My dear friend Zach was told to distract me. And um, so uh, he said, Pastor Drew, I really need to talk to you. And um, so, because they were trying to do a surprise for me. And um, so we go up in a room upstairs and he drops a bombshell on me which was completely a lie, which I didn't realize at a time. But he couldn't come up with a little thing that he's, like, Jamie told him, like, Zach, just, just have him counsel you on something, and then, and then you guys will get done. You can bring him over to the party, whatever. But he decides to just go for the biggest sin he can think of. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, okay. And he's repentant with his fake re- his fake sin and his fake repentance. Like, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't have done it. And I've got my Bible, and I'm bringing him the word. I had a kid's Bible. I was like, I need a Bible. And I was like, and all I could find was a kid's Bible. And we were, man, we were, we were going to the word because, and here's the deal. He, he didn't know this fully, but he had been, what he had done was he had been leading our, our worship team practice, and he 
they said he shut down practice because he had something weighing on his heart. Yeah. And so he needed, and he just needed to talk to me right then, right? But what he did know was my goal right there in that moment was, okay, the kids aren't going to lead worship tonight. Zach, you're going to lead worship tonight. That was my goal. Because here I have before me a man who's repentant of his sin, that desires the Lord. And here's the thing. Too often in churches, when someone messes up and they get a little filth on them, we're like, well, obviously he's a hypocrite. Let's get rid of him. Let's, let's push him off to the side because only perfect people are allowed here. Oh, leadership is messed up. Let's get rid of them. I don't see that as the heart of Christ at all. Is there times where you have to discipline people and take them through restorative processes? Yeah. But can I tell you, that night, Zach, Malachi wasn't leading a song. If that had been true, I would have got you on that stage with the guitar in your hand, and you were going to lead worship that night because God is a restoring God. If you disagree with that, you might want to go to church somewhere else. Because we believe that God is a God who restores people. He restores. He removes their filthy garments. And we don't just hold people out of arm's length because they stink a little. No, we embrace people that stink a little because guess what? We stink a little too. And now we know that the grace of God doesn't give us permission to sin, but the grace of God produces in us so much gratitude because of the forgiveness that we no longer want to walk in sin. Yeah? People are scared of the grace message because they're like, well, if you preach that kind of grace, then people are just going to do whatever they want. And David, King David got this wrong. We all, like King David, we, we think he's an amazing guy. And, and he was, right? He was a man after God's own heart. But the guy messed up. He was a king who, who would not go to war when he's supposed to go to war and then see some good-looking thing and like, hmm. And then have her husband killed. And he's a man after God's own heart. And in our churches, like, we'd be like, you're, you're done, right? That's, that, that's a pretty big thing. If your pastor did that, they're done. Like, you had a husband killed? Like, but we're like, oh, King David, man, awesome dude. I mean, sometimes. But you know what he was? Repentant, right? He was repentant when he realized his sin, when he realized his filth, he didn't say, well, this is just who I am. No, there was repentance in his heart, and he changed. But, and it was because God had chosen him. But David didn't get that completely himself. Because when his son Absalom sinned against him, he was like, you know what? It drives me crazy that Absalom's out there in the world somewhere doing whatever. I need my son home. That's the heart of God. My rebellious son is out in the world. I want my son home. That's the heart of God. But then when Absalom comes home, he says, oh, but I never want to see him. He's allowed back, but I never want him in my sight. And what does that do to Absalom? It turns him into a rebellious traitor all over again and causes problems for David, where David actually has to flee for his life. Why? Because that wasn't the heart of God. Sometimes we're guilty of that. We'll bring people in part of the way, but not all the way. But God wants to put on us a brand new garment he wants to snatch us from the fire not just like 
kind of pull us out. What this scripture says in Zechariah 3 is that we are people that have been snatched from the fire, that we're no longer in that judgment. We're no longer in that sin anymore. That's the place where God wants you to be this morning. Beloved, we're talking about shameless today. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about shameless. We talked about, we've talked about the, the, the scripture where the people went before the Lord on judgment day and said, Lord, didn't we do all these amazing things in your name? Look how great we are. And God's like, I don't care how great you are, right? That's what we talked about that false sense of pride. But today I want to talk about the opposite side of that, where we're like, look how awful I am. Look how much stuff I'm covered in. And the Lord's saying, I don't care how much stuff you're covered in. I want to bring you back to where you're supposed to be. Zach, can you come on up? Actually, can I get the entire worship team to come on up? In Luke chapter 15, you've heard this story before. Jesus tells the story, he tells this parable, right, of a dad who has two sons. And one son says to the equivalent of, Dad, I wish you were dead because I just want my stuff. I just want my inheritance. And so the dad gives him his inheritance you guys know the story? He, he leaves and blows it on wild living. On partying, on women, on everything else. And in Luke 15, verse 17, it says this. It says, but when he came to himself, I mean, he's, he's run out of money. He's in a very bad way. It says he's, he's, he's feeding pigs. And he wants to eat the food the pigs are eating. And that's nasty stuff. He said, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will rise. I'll go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. And before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And guess what? He didn't even get to finish the rest of it. Because the Lord interrupts says the father said to his servant bring quickly the best robe and put it on him let's put a new he's covered in filth he's covered in pig slop let's put a new garment on him let's put a ring on his hand a ring of authority saying you're a son again and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found and they begin to celebrate this is the god that we serve this is the god who wants to set us free we talked about this a couple weeks ago in revelations chapter 12 it says then i heard a loud voice in heaven saying the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our god and the authority of his christ have now come because the accuser of our brothers and sisters 
who accused them before our God night and day has been thrown down. Has been thrown down. Say amen. amen. Say it loud like you mean it. Amen. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony for they did not love their lives to the point of death. Like even today, Satan is still standing there accusing you of all the filth in your life. Even today, night and day, he wants you to make, he wants to make you feel ashamed of who you are and what you've done. And some of you are buying in to what he's saying. And you will never be able to shut him up by saying, no, 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 listen, listen, Satan. I didn't look at porn at all this week. That's, that's not what's going to shut him up. Listen, Satan, I've gotten along with my wife and kids all week long. That's not going to shut him up. He, he shut up by the blood of the lamb. Remember, we, we talked about that when we opened today, is that, is that there's this perfect lamb that was killed as payment to God. And the blood was sprinkled to restore the environment of the relationship. Can I tell you, every sin you've ever committed, it was paid for not because you did good, but because Jesus died on the cross. That's the payment for our sin. And his shed blood is the restoring relationship that you can be right before God. So that as it says in, in Hebrews chapter 4, it says that we have a high priest, that's Jesus, who has passed through the heavens. It says, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us or with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. So that when I realize I'm covered in filth, when I realize that, yeah, everything that he's saying about me might be true, or some of it might be lies, but it's making me feel worthless, that I can boldly go before God because Jesus paid for my sin. And that his blood has restored my relationship with him so that I can boldly go before God. And so our, our, our temptation is to shrink back away from him when we've sinned. Uh, we've all done it. I can't pray today because I'm ashamed of what I've done. I, I can't get in the Word today because I'm. I, some of us won't even come to church because, man, I really screwed up. And maybe the people, it was against someone across the room. Can I tell you that we have to be such a people of grace where, where we want to restore people. And Jamie... She says, you know, when I preach a sermon, she'll say, that was a good sermon, but you weren't mean to anybody. So let me be mean to you for just a second. Sometimes we help the devil accuse. We let him use our mouth to be that accusation. And when I say that, I'm not saying that so you'll think, oh yeah, that person does this to me. I don't want you to think that. I want you to think when you've done it to somebody, when you've partnered with the enemy to accuse your brothers, rather than, hey, I see your garment's filthy, let's trade you out. Let's trade you out. Because, because it's not who you are, it's just something that you're wearing right now. Listen, I'm going to say it again. It's not who you are, it's just something that's on you right now. Let's get that off of you. 
Let me tell you who you are. You are loved by God. Let me tell you who you are. You're a child of the King of Kings. That's who you are. Will you stand with me? In Hebrews chapter 9, it says this. It says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of young cow sprinkling those who are defiled sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God. Like this is where God wants you to live. He wants you to live in place of, I'm restored, not because of who I am, but because of who he is. That I, I've been snatched from the fire. Yeah, my temple, maybe right now, it's not as good. It's not as good as, as the, the former one. But it ain't done yet. It ain't done yet. And you just give me some time, let the Lord work in this situation, He's going to do a mighty work. And you know, how, you know how you know something's of God? Is if it's restored better than it was before. The Lord restores it better than it was before. So if you're walking through a situation right now, you say, I, see the, I think this is God moving, but it's not, it's not really as good as it was before. Listen, that's the enemy. Can I give you some hope? It will get better than it was before. Get your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes off of yourself. Get your ears turned off from the accuser. And let's listen to the King of Kings. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you right now in the name of Jesus, the name that's above every name. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all unrighteousness so that we can walk in newness of life. Father God, we thank you for Jesus' resurrection from the dead proving he is victorious over in any and every situation that we could ever walk through. God, today we stand before you as people, Lord, who yes, we've been covered in filth, but God, you've taken away our filth and our rags and you restored us, Lord God, for robes of righteousness. Lord Jesus, that we can walk in joy and confidence knowing that our King loves us. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church.